So, welcome everybody. Um, as I was introduced, I'm the campus pastor um, from Hope City House of Prayer for Ohio State. Um, we have a campus ministry here. Name is Josh for some new faces. I see new faces. 24, three kids, married. Well, third kid on the way, married. Um, very nice to see a lot of you. A lot of new faces here. Um, and so I'm just grateful for the Lord, filled with expectation about what's going to happen tonight and what's already been released. Um, and there's things Naomi just released in prayer that I feel like we're going to see manifest later um, after, after the releasing of the word. And there's some things that you're going to see in your own lives. Um, even for those of you who may not have responded to the call to salvation of your soul, you know, believing from death to life. God wants to save you from a situation. He wants to deliver you from something on this side of salvation. And for some of you, you may not have actually responded to the call yet, but didn't feel like with the pressure on you and, this, and, the, and the swing of things and everything that was going on, the conviction, whatever it might have been, you're still going to have that chance to respond to Jesus. And so um, just to catch everyone up to speed, this semester, we have made our focus prayer. God has made our focus prayer. We have been tapping into how do we pray? What are the foundations for prayer? What does prayer look like? You know, what, you know, what, what is that? And so today, the message that I have for us is called, it's the part three of, of our series so far on prayer. It's called the groan of the intercessor. The groan of the intercessor, the why behind our intercession. Okay. So before I start, before I say anything, first I'm just going to say a very short prayer. If y'all are new, we just love to pray. We love to talk to God. That's why we're, that's why we're here. That's why we're gathered. Um, and so God, I thank you. I thank you for your presence. I thank you that your love for everyone in this room is so great that you would call people by name here, God, that people would have random encounters for even how they came across hearing about us or how they came about, you know, a flyer tonight, God. But I thank you that you're an intentional God. I thank you that with you, it's not so coincidental. It's not so accidental, God, because you are intentional. You're sovereign, you're providential. And so I pray for the fresh release of everything that you have stored up everything that you promised, everything that you've set aside, that callings would be shifted, identity restored, chains broken, deliverance happening, fresh filling and impartation of your spirit, God. I'm expectant. We're expectant. So grip our hearts with your word, your message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And so I just want to open up with a question just, just to start. Lighten the mood a little bit. I know a little heavy. <laughs> and so I just wanted to ask anyone who's been around, um, you know, for this past semester, at least, would anyone be willing to share just any testimonies of how you applied maybe the sermon from like last week or weeks before, just things that you've noticed changing in your own life? Anyone, anyone want to give a testimony? Yeah. Or, wait, let's see. Do we have a student who wants to give a testimony? Susan, can you, can, whoever wants to give a testimony, I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith. 
Could you come and grab the mic and say it on the mic? <laughs> and I saw y'all in girls here. It's not that scary, I promise. I'll be up here with you. <laughs> here you go. Thank you. Hi, everyone. My name is Suzanne. Um, I'm going to make this quick because I wasn't prepared and I don't think it needs to be too long, but I believe it was at Women's Discipleship on the 19th um, when we essentially kind of had, it was kind of like a round table. We had like three rows of like tables and stuff and we were pretty much like just learning like what it means to pray. Um, and I'm just looking back in my notes right now and how like learning how prayer gives you direction, proximity, posture, um, and how like suffering is inevitable, right? And I remember um, somebody gave a testimony about, well, multiple of us did about like times where we've had, you know, demons attack us or anything, especially like in our sleep. And um, so one thing about me, I used to suffer from that in high school. Um, I just had like a year long worth of um, nightmares and I would wake up screaming and not in my bed um, and it was really bad like I would wake up my entire family and my mom would take me to many different pastors and try to figure out like what's going on like who is doing this to me um, and the pastors sort of told us different things um, going back to like you know there were just witches who were trying to do things like through my mom to get to me um, and just other things going on. Um, essentially, the devil was after me um, and was doing it, like getting to me through my dreams. But long story short, everything pretty much ended once I started going to Hope City, actually. Um, and then also me accepting Christ um, once I started going to college and all. Um, but it was crazy because um, literally that same week, I had a nightmare and I woke up screaming and I wasn't in my room. And it was similar to all the other nightmares that I used to have when I was like a teenager. Um, and for the first time, before I used to, you know, run to my mom, because she was the prayer warrior. It wasn't me. I had to get her, and she had the oil. And she, <laughs> yeah. So she made, she would, she had the oil. And she keeps oil in my room, too, and all that, because she, you know, it was a protocol. But anyway, um, uh, I do believe, well, number one, um, Nobody was home. It was just me. I believe like my family was out of town. I was all alone. Um, but I didn't realize that until the next day. But I knew like that night when I woke up, the first thing I did was I started praying. And I remember it was Naomi who was like teaching us, you know, how to add scripture into our prayers because my mom has always told me to do that. And she does it herself. I'm like, how does she memorize all that? And yeah, so she's great at it. But um and I didn't have my Bible on me. I didn't even have time to go get it. I just went straight into prayer because I was like, I, not today. Not right now. Not today, Satan. Not tonight. Um, just got into prayer and just sort of just, you know, fighting, you know. It was worship and worship as well, too. Um, and I went to bed. And usually I used to, like, keep the light on and stuff. I used to go and turn on all the lights in my house and stuff especially because I was alone, I went straight to bed like nothing happened. And praise be to God that I woke up and I was fine. It was like nothing happened. And I, I didn't even have to, you know, tell my mom because she used to do checkups on me to see, like, have you had any dreams lately? 
whatever. But um, it was just seeing like how far I've gotten and remembering like, you know, what Naomi had said um, and just like everything that I was learning from T-Bock and my growth as a child of God, um, seeing like how far I've come from like, you know, hardships that I've had in the past. So that's all for me. Chelsea. Chelsea, we need your testimony. Yeah. Every time you raise your hand, somebody get blessed. <laughs> How much more when you speak? I mean, <laughs> a specific story but I would say I've started being more transparent in my parent in my prayers and just more transparent with God um and I can see that he's like leading me on a journey like um it was the last day of uh, January um and I was like I was kind of just like reflecting on my January with God um, and it was really cool because I kind of tried to center that prayer around thankfulness. Um, and immediately I recalled everything great that happened in January. I, I felt myself saying like, oh, it's such a gloomy month. The sun's not out. Like, it's, it's just like a sad month. But like when I was in prayer with God, it was like joy. And like I could, I, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. But it was really cool. Um, and I found that through bringing through being transparent with God. Um, so, yeah, I can I can tell that he's leading me on a journey because one of the things I prayed for was discipline. And it's, I don't know, what, the second day of February? Something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the second day of February. And it's already, like, all these things are making me, like, okay, Chelsea, you want some discipline. It's not going to be easy. That's what God is telling me. He's like, girl, you're just going to, you're going to have to, like, build um, so, uh, it's, it's just cool. I, I, I enjoy it. It's, it's cool. I'm trying to like pray more throughout the day, just call out his name. Um, and yeah, so you can tell it like makes me like, we got it. You know? <laughs> okay, that's it. Thank you both of you, um, for your testimonies. But I, I just want that to be, it might be slightly regular, we take one or two now, but I think really just in tracking with, we want to apply the word. How many moments are we just going to have where we feel goosebumps, where we cry, where, you know, we get to this place where God touches us, but it just falls. You know, it falls because we don't respond. We don't take it beyond Thursday. We don't take it beyond our Sundays. And so I think hearing other people, other peers testify about I applied this to my life and I got delivered from terrors in the night. <laughs> Somebody else is getting delivered. Anyone who's had night terrors is getting delivered tonight in Jesus name. <laughs> Literally. And there's like something when we release those testimonies, there's, it's like an expose on the devil. It just like releases his power. <laughs> like he, he just like, once his schemes get exposed, it's like another element of his power um, is pulled back. And so, you know, I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged by your testimonies. But um, I just wanted to mention that one part. But 
um, into the message, the groan of the intercessor, the why behind our intercession. And so um, I just want to let people know from the start, there's several, several whys and reasons why we do end up praying, you know, that is the motivation for prayer. Um, I'm just going to be talking about a few that the Lord specifically put on my heart for tonight, for each and every single one of you that has come tonight. And so the first point of why we pray, why we intercede, is because there's constant intercession within the Godhead on our behalf, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's constant intercession, even now, Jesus at the right hand of the Father, always making intercession for us. The Holy Spirit interceding through us on our behalf. And so we're going to go to Romans 8, verses 26 to 27. And we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit as our intercessor. And anyone can feel free to volunteer. We like to give people opportunity to read different translations, you know, volunteer in any way. Um, so this point is um, first point for why we intercede or why we pray, but really focusing on intercession because there's constant intercession within the Godhead, you could say within the Trinity, whatever, on our behalf. So Romans 8, 26 through 27. Any volunteers for Romans 8, 26, 27? Alanda, I made eye contact with you, so... <laughs> Thank you. 27. Yeah, thank you. And so some key points I want us to understand um, is one, just like the text says, the Holy Spirit helps us intercede. He helps us to pray. He's a person. Some of you may call the Holy Spirit an it, but no, he's a person mm -hmm. who dwells in us if we've been saved, if we've believed and walked in that message that Naomi gave us and we've repented of our sin. He dwells in us and he prays in us. He prays through us and he prays beyond words. He prays the perfect will of God, even without words, with, with groans. And he's praying the perfect will of God, like verse 27 says. And so we know that it's perfect because... God knows our hearts, the Bible says. And the Spirit knows the Father's heart perfectly because the Holy Spirit is God's Spirit. And so could I have someone really, really quickly um, turn to 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11, and I'll explain what I'm, what I'm getting at.
First um, Corinthians two ten through eleven. Looks like Devin's got it, so I'll let him go ahead and read it. Interesting. So the Holy Spirit is the only person who knows the thoughts of God, the only one who truly knows the perfect will of God. So like last week we, we talked about, we went over the verse that when we pray the, the will of God, you know, we have whatever we ask. It's an answered prayer when we pray according to his will. But we struggle to find out God's will a lot of the time. There's a lot of things that get in the way of us knowing the will of God perfectly. One, just being in a body of death, you know, being in that already, but not yet where we're redeemed, but we're not fully redeemed. You know, we still deal with struggles. We deal with anything. We deal with all of these different things that get in the way of us knowing the perfect will, but we have God's spirit living inside of us. The same spirit that searches the depths of God to understand his will, who knows how he thinks, who knows the ways and the intricacies and the complexities that's the same God, the Holy Spirit, who lives in us. And so it go, he literally prays beyond words, beyond, beyond our comprehension. He's praying groans. We can't even understand if he did reveal more. If he did reveal what those groans were and tried to, we wouldn't even be able to comprehend because we can't even know the deep things of God to that extent. But we have a helper. We have a comforter. We have the Holy Spirit who works this out in us, who brings us to praying with these deep groanings beyond utterance. And so some of you, you may experience, you know, the Holy Spirit's help through prayer. I hope we all experience it. But, you know, for example, there's times where we'll be praying for someone, we'll be interceding, we might lay hands on someone, you know, while we're at prayer meetings and different things like that. And you might receive a word of knowledge. You might receive a prophecy. You might receive a vision. And the Holy Spirit is essentially just downloading you information, if you want to think of it like a computer, like downloading information directly from God's limitless understanding and sharing pieces with us as a gift. And that's why we can't boast in, you know, being prophetic or, you know, being gifted or we can't, the Bible says we can't boast in anything we have as if we, it's our own, as if we got it on our own, but it's literally the Holy Spirit. And so I won't go too much deeper into that, but I want us to turn back to Romans 8 for a second. And I want us to see Jesus as our intercessor. And so uh, if someone could read for me Romans 8, 33 and 34, and actually, and then if a second person could turn to 1 Timothy 2, 5. But everyone can stay just on Romans 8, but just one person can flip to 1 Timothy 2, 5 and Romans 8, 33 and 34. Sydney's got Romans. Anyone want um, 1 Timothy? 2, 5. So you can read um, Romans 8, Sydney. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? 
God is the one who <laughs> God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Thank you. And then Naomi, you can read First Timothy two five. Amen. So here we see Jesus as our chief intercessor, as our high priest, the one who keeps us free of condemnation because he is the one who mediates on our behalf. Like Naomi preached earlier, we aren't reliant on ourselves, which is a blessing. We aren't reliant on Mary. We aren't reliant on a priest. We aren't reliant on another intercessor in our place. There's no one else who could remove condemnation. No one else who could give us this access to God. And there's no one else who could pray for us like Jesus as the high priest, the sinless one, the glorified one. And so Jesus has a unique authority in his intercession that no one else has. Imagine you come born into the world, come down from being God, born to a virgin. You live the sinless life. You die for people who hate you, who mock you, who spit on you, who beat you. You raise from the dead like you promised. You pour out gifts. You pour out the Holy Spirit. You ascend back to heaven. Sit down at the right hand of your father. And what do you do after you've conquered death? You've conquered it all. What does Jesus do after he's done all of that? And what is he still doing after he, he did all that? He's interceding. So what does that tell us about intercession? If the God who did all of that makes intercession for us constantly as our high priest, does that not change the way we think about prayer? Does that not change our motivation? Like that makes us inquire a little deeper, like, huh, there's something deeper to this intercession thing. Why, why is G Jesus is God? He's glorified. He's with the Father. He's in heaven. What, why would he be interceding? He's done the work. Like it's finished. Like what? Why? Why? So it's helpful if we actually take a look and see what is it that Jesus prayed for? What example did he leave us in the Bible for what his intercession sounds like? What's on the mind of God when he prays on behalf of man, when he prays on behalf of his children? Emphasis on behalf of his children, too. So if we could turn to John 17... 20 through 26, we're going to talk about what Jesus's intercession for us sounds like. And so it's John 17, 20 through 26. And so while we're all turning there, I want to ask us a, another question and keep everyone involved. But just a general question. It'll, you'll see kind of how it relates as I go along, but what type of prayers do you pray when you intercede for your loved ones? Very broad question. You can just answer it however you want. What type of prayers do you pray when you're interceding for loved ones, those you love? Not a trick question. <laughs> Sydney. Um, I would say like salvation prayers. Salvation prayers. Yes, yes, of course. Yes. Yes. Um, 
Yolanda? Uh, just healing their heart. Mm -hmm. That's good. John? Protection. Yes, 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 yes. Devin? <laughs> we need some covering. We need some covering. Some chain breaking prayers. Come on. Chelsea. Health. Yes, 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 yes. Lyle. Wisdom. That's good. That's good. Suzanne. Yes, yes. Good, 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 good. So Jesus makes intercession for us, but this is what it sounds like. Um, first, I'm forgetting. Let me have, can someone read John 17, 20 through 26 for us? Oh, does someone have it? Suzanne had her hand? Or, oh, Apostle Val, you can read it for us. Thank you. This is how Jesus intercedes. We talk a lot about Matthew 6 and the Lord's prayer being our father who art in heaven. But this is really like, if you really want to see Jesus in prayer, what's on the mind of God praying for people, I would advise you to read John 17 and to think more of Matthew 6 is like our prayer, the disciples prayer. But John 17, so, 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 so powerful. John this is a whole little section, like John 13 through 17 is amazing. But the first point I want to bring up about what Jesus's intercession for us sounds like is a unity that saves the lost. A unity among believers that saves the lost. And so he prays that we would be unified, that we would be one, and that we, that Unbelievers would see the unity in us, see our unity in Christ, and it would bring them to saving faith. And so seeing Jesus's glory gives us power to be in complete unity. When he's praying for the revelation of us seeing his glory and seeing us, or us seeing him as he is, and us being in him, there's something about unity that draws the hearts of the lost. And on the opposite side, there's something when the church is not unified. There's something when believers are in disunity, are living out of one accord, that testifies against the church. It works against our witness. And so Jesus, the perfect one, the holy one, who makes intercession always for us at the right hand of God, what's on his mind for the future of the church forever? Like this is a prayer for believers for the end of time until he comes back. 
and you know the books are open and they're shut and so what's on his mind is unity unity with each other and then the next point i'll bring up is similar but it's mutual abiding so it's us being in him and him being in us and so we we already talked about we we received his holy spirit to literally dwell in us to, you know our bodies are a temple we we house the living God inside of us. But also there's an element of abiding in him that we see in John 15 that talks about obeying his commands and loving him in that way and only doing what we see our father do just like Jesus, only doing what we see Jesus do and to only say what we hear him say just as Jesus did. And so... That's just another, another crucial point that we need to grab hold of. And then third point that I'll mention is the revelation of perfect love. And that's mentioned a couple of times in this section. And so he's praying that the world would know the Father's love for them is the same, just as extravagant, just as perfect. I keep bringing this up every week in sermons because God really wants us to grab hold of this. It's the exact same, no lesser quality than the love he has for Jesus, the holy one, the perfect one, the sinless one. That's good news. His love is unconditional towards us. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to worry that it'll shift if we miss the mark one day or we miss the mark today and we, have to make, we feel like we have to make up, you know, make up to God like time we missed in prayer, time we missed in the word, or, or else his love will like, you know, he just won't be pleased with us. And it's like this back and forth game. And Jesus is praying that we would know the quality. Jesus is praying this. I just want us to grab hold of this. This isn't just, you know, anybody like just praying this in a random account. But this is Jesus. This is what's on his heart, is that we would know the quality and the standard of his love. And so it's repeated in verse 23 and 26. Um, and this, again, this is for believers who will believe. So that's how he starts off verse 20. This is, he had just prayed for the disciples at the time on the earth then. And then he prays like, it's not, I'm not just praying for them either. I'm praying for every single believer for the future. And so he's praying it for us even while we were yet in sin. We're loved and Christ died for us. And he wants us to be with him where he is. And so that's the last point I just want to highlight for us is he prays that we would be with him where he is, to see his glory, to be glorified with him. And so just think about it. If you read all of John 17, actually, there's not a single other place where Jesus says, I want or I desire until he gets to this point. He's, he's praying the, the perfect will of God. He's praying, you know, he's praying everything just as he should perfectly. But he actually expresses a desire here, not just like he's being obedient to the Father's command, but he's expressing desire, a want. And what's he saying that he wants? What does Jesus want? You know, sometimes we pray and we feel like, oh, I just need to pray the scripture. I can't really pray about the things I desire. I can't. Re Jesus prays. Prayed according to his desire, and it's in alignment with God's will, and it will be answered. And so his desire is for us to be with him. He desires for each and every one of us to be with him and to see him glorified. And so he longs for the day, we're talking about the groan of the intercessor, 
Our intercessor groans. Our intercessor longs for something. There's something more than just a duty. There's something more than just like, he knows he needs to pray this because it's going to be the fulfillment of all things. But there's a desire there. There's a wanting. And it's the day that we can be with him and see him as he is. Not the already, the, uh, the already not yet, but fully unveiled, just as the transfiguration, the, dis- the three disciples saw him in his glory and they couldn't stand it. He wants a people who will be able to stand in glory with him, who will be able to see him, who won't fall down as dead, but who will share in that glory because it's what he died for. It's, that's his whole, the joy set before him. He saw each and every single one of you. He saw your sin. He still died for you, but he had an image in front of him. He had a joy that he endured the suffering through. And he wants you to be with him. Again, not duty. God didn't just love us because his nature is just love. So like he just had to, he really didn't have a choice, but he desires you. He wants you. He longs for you. That's what he prays for. And so we'll even discuss this a little bit later, but like this deep desire by Jesus for us to see his glory, that actually causes humanity to groan for that same revelation. We have a groaning in us that's connected to this Jesus, that's connected to this prayer of Jesus longing for us. It stirs up a groan in our hearts when you've been born of that same spirit. There's this thing that goes beyond words. There's a deep calling out to deep that happens in you. And it's connected to this Jesus, to his prayers as the high priest. And so one more, um, just a few verses about what Jesus's intercession sounds like. Could someone turn to me or turn for me to Luke 22, 31 through 34? Preferably someone who hasn't had a chance to speak or read yet, but. Yes, Luke 22, 31 through 34. Man, you gave us a little extra. <laughs> but yeah, excuse me. Jesus does something really interesting with prayer here. He prays. He intercedes on Peter's behalf that his faith may not fail. Jesus literally knowing, verses later, he's talking about how his faith is definitely going to fail, like what it seems like to us. He, he, his faith is going to fail. <laughs> you know, Peter's confident. No, 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 Lord. I, I, you know, I'll, I'll be there for you. I'd never turn. 
But Jesus shows Peter, one, Satan had to ask Jesus in the first place just to sift Peter like wheat. I think that's interesting. It's almost like the devil has to petition God <laughs> to do certain things just as much we feel like we have to petition. We don't have an adversary who's God's equal, on equal footing, who can just, you know, this back and forth battle. But he's a defeated devil who literally has to get permission, Jesus, to even attack, to do these things. God will allow certain things for certain reasons beyond our, our knowing. But, sorry, that's a bunny trail. But Jesus intercedes for Peter in this way that his faith may not fail, even when he has the perfect knowledge of Peter's faith failing. And so Jesus, he's praying for this, he's, he's praying for this strengthening of our faith, knowing, we're gonna, knowing that Peter's gonna stumble or turn away. And he's praying for an enduring faith. An enduring faith. And so what Jesus here is praying for isn't just that, you know, Peter falling is a sign that, um, you know, he just is a man without faith. Peter falling, even denying Jesus in that moment, wasn't a sign that he was completely faithless. But he prayed that his, that his faith would be strengthened, that it wouldn't fail, even though he knew it would fail because Jesus knew what he was working in him. He knew that if he covered him with his prayers, that he wouldn't ultimately fall. He might stumble. He might bump his head. He might have a moment where he denies, but he's not ultimately going to fall all of the way. And so let this be encouraging for us where so often we feel like we have turned too far from God. We have been too faithless. And God says, that's okay. I'm faithful. I'm faithful. And so even when Peter, he knew Peter wouldn't be faithful, Jesus could promise Peter that his faith wouldn't fail because Jesus knew who he was. And he loved Peter as a beloved disciple. And because he knows his intercession will work, he's praying the perfect will of God. Peter had the promise, even after he stumbled and bumped his head, that his faith, his faith wasn't a wrap. Like he still had hope. And so that's why you even see um, I forget the exact verse it is, but I believe Devin, you might have actually read it last week where Jesus, when he's resurrected, he's asking Peter like three times to affirm his love. Uh, John, John 21, John 20 or 21. Um, and he's asking him to reaffirm his faith, reaffirm, you know, his calling, reaffirm his love, you know, for the flock and that he'll do what the Lord is telling him to do. And those things are intimately connected. God was so faithful that even when Peter had a moment of faithlessness, it wasn't the end of the story. So Jesus's intercession for us gives us strength and faith and enduring faith that we don't, once we bump our head once, we don't have to be like, well, you know, that's it. I messed up too much. I denied him too much. I, but we have actual hope that when we're faithless, he's faithful. And so let's move to point two for why we pray. We pray to birth deliverance, both corporately 
and individually, or we, we, we intercede, you could say, to birth deliverance corporately and individually. So we're going to trek out to the, to the good old Old Testament, refreshing for the soul, to look at the groan of the intercessor corporately. And so this will be one of those times where I'm going to have uh, two different scriptures. Could one person turn to Exodus 2, 23 through 25? And another person turned to Judges 2, 18. So Exodus 2, 23 through 25, and Judges 2, 18. Okay. Uh, let's wait one second for someone to get Judges and then... So Exodus 2, 23 through 25, and then Judges 2, 18. I can, it, I can, just, I can just read Judges 2, 18. That's fine. Or, Suzanne, you can read it. Um, you could read first, yeah. That was Exodus 2, 23 through 25. And so here we see how the groaning of God's people from Old Testament and soon we'll see through new is birthed through this corporate anguish, this corporate suffering, this corporate experience of oppression. And from this place of suffering, of crushing, oppression, anguish, whatever word you want to put to it, there's a groan that's released. There's a sound that's released. A groan to deep oppression, to injustice, bondage, slavery. A cry for justice. A groan for justice and for help that touches God's heart, moves him to compassion, moves his heart. And so the suffering that we go through, whether it's Old Testament or new, is not without purpose. There's a groan that God desires to respond to, that only those who have suffered to a certain extent can hope to produce. There is a certain type of worship. There's a certain type of connectedness to God's heart. There's a certain type of prayer that only goes out from someone who's hungry for deliverance, who's been crushed, who is at their wit's end, who is at the end of the rope, who is tired, maybe even of living. There's a specific cry that goes out that touches God's heart in a unique way, especially when that's the cry of a people group. He does not ignore those cries. He's not indifferent to those cries. He's not indifferent to your suffering. But he'll produce oil from it. And so we should be, we should be encouraged that God will respond to our groans 
in tears with concern, compassion, protection. But something we need to know as this verse talks about um, deliverance specifically, or these verses talk about deliverance. Um, and if any of you know the old campus pastor Reed, he would bring this uh, Greek word up a, a lot, but it was like yada or yada or <laughs> yada. You know, he's a scholar. <laughs> and so it means to know intimately and often used in terms of like, you know, sex within the covenant of marriage and things like that, but knowing intimately. And so, sorry. And so the, the word there for deliverance actually is that Greek word, yada, of knowing intimately. So there's this deep knowing that's actually taking place, this deep cry for intimacy that's taking place as they're crying out for deliverance. And so the, the good thing about God and what we see in these examples of both of these texts in both Exodus with Moses and Judges as God would lift up judges to conquer, you know, these different nations who are oppressing the Israelite people. As he's responding to the groans, the groans always lifted up a deliverer. There was always a deliverer attached to the groans of a people that was sent forth. God would respond, but he would lift up a deliverer or deliverers for the people or the nation that would actually that would actually cry out to him. That would hit this point of desperation and groaning. Like it's almost like this pressing, this pressure, this pressing, this crushing produced in a nation, in a people. What was necessary to birth forth a deliverer. And so let's talk about it in the story of Hannah and Samuel. Let's turn to 1 Samuel 1, 10 through 17. And we're going to talk about groaning of the intercessor that's birthed from an individual. 1 Samuel 1, 10 through 17. And so we, we looked at the nation. We've seen how God has responded to the groaning and the cries of the oppressed and the most vulnerable how he sent forth deliverance, how he raised up judges, he raised up Moses, how he did all of these great things as a people came together and poured their hearts out, got beyond that place of words, and were just groaning and crying out for God. So we're going to see what that looks like on the individual level. So would someone mind reading for me 1 Samuel 1, 10 through 17? Yeah, Daniel. Anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, Go in peace. May 
the God of Israel grants the request you have asked of him. Powerful. Powerful. Like I say, a lot of the time, certain scriptures will preach themselves and just touch you in a specific way. But there's a specific impartation for anguish or a call to anguish. I really feel the Lord is trying to birth in us prophetically. And I think Hannah gives us a primary example I want to focus on. And so he gave Hannah, God gave Hannah a hunger and an anguish that actually matched the majesty and the glory and the deliverance, Jesus, that would be birthed through her in the prophet Samuel. He gave her, and as we saw in verse six, God closed her womb. God was the one. It wasn't the devil. God closed her womb. And from that choice to close her womb for that time, for all those years, something was birthed in Hannah before Samuel was birthed. A groan was birthed in her to deliver a nation. She, the prayers that she sowed into her son, that she sowed into her womb, the, the constant years of groaning, the constant years of anguish, the constant years of tears at the prayer, at the house of prayer. All of that time poured in, not seeing prayers answered, but enduring. All the time she got to a place of praying where she was literally out of words. She had nothing left, but she was just emptying of herself. Not, an, not answered. Not answered. But God closed her womb. What did he want from her? What, if he was going to give her Samuel, why? Why withhold? And I would argue before you today, he was trying to birth something in her before he birthed Samuel. That hunger that endurance, that anguish, that groan that she produced. She may have never grown like that until the day we heard of it. We, we don't know. It may have taken her years to get to that place where she's just in the house of prayer. She's in the temple. She's just crying or she's, you know, literally just weeping. She's without words. She's moving her mouth, but no sound is coming out. And that's when... It's granted to her. Her request is granted to her. And so that hunger, that anguish, that groan came to the place where it matched the majesty, the glory, the deliverance, the deliverer that God wanted to be birthed through her for the nation. The promises she made about how she would raise him up, giving him completely back. We don't have the context. We don't know if she was praying that the whole time. Maybe she was. Maybe God, God got, got her to that place where the biggest thing I want, God, I'll give it all to you. Where I'm at such a place of brokenness and anguish and not knowing how this will come. I'm in such a place of desperation that she gave it all. And so if she wouldn't have done all of that praying, sowed all of those tears, made all of those trips to the temple or the synagogue, would we have gotten Samuel? Did God require a crushing and a pressing so that, Jesus, that the intercession that would need to be birthed into one of the greatest prophets in all of the Bible's history where not a single word of his fell to the ground? Not a single word. The Bible says if Samuel's actually fell to the ground. He wasn't one of those troubled prophets or kings 
who did a lot of great, but, you know, had, had a lot of issues, had a lot of missteps, a lot of words and things that fell to the ground. But something about her suffering, something about that groan that was produced, produced something else, something else God desired. And isn't that like our God who had to come and suffer the greatest, most humiliating death on that cross to produce something, (laughs) to produce something that could only be produced through a certain measure of suffering, through a certain measure of crushing, through a certain way. And so again, excuse me. Well, for the sake of time, actually, I might not ask this question. Sorry. Actually, maybe I'll ask it. I'll let a couple people. (laughs) But I'm going to ask two questions, a two-part question. How do you pray when things are going well versus when you're suffering? And do you pray differently when you feel your sorrow or your trial or your anguish, whatever it might be, comes from God and not the devil? So the first part, how do you pray when things are going well versus not well, essentially, or versus suffering, versus a dark time? And then do you pray differently when you feel that some suffering you're, you're going through is from God and not the devil? Tough question. <laughs> yeah, what's her name? Yeah, Samuel, awesome. Oh, gee, wait, wait. <laughs> On a serious note, we're about to pray for you after. <laughs> uh, oh, testify, man, a guy. <laughs> you better say something. Yes, yes, I can. (laughs) Jesus. How do you pray when things are are going well versus when you are suffering? Or do you pray differently when you feel your anguish, your suffering comes from God and not the devil? Focus on giving God the glory in all circumstances. Then 
lesson will be learned and the blessing will be Samuel. <laughs> no, Samuel. <laughs> um, Naomi, I'll, I'll probably only be able to take one after. <laughs> or e either one of y'all. How do you pray when things are going well versus when you're suffering or going through a tough time? Like, how do your prayers change? Do you pray differently when you feel your anguish comes from God and not the devil? Take that thing out. For the sake of time, sadly, I have to, I have to move on, but the Lord hears and knows. Um, and so I just want to talk a little bit more about Hannah and just some of the interesting parallels that you see with, with her getting to this place of brokenness, of grief, 
you know, running out of words, you know, her mouth is moving, no sound is coming out. And she's really entering into that place of those utterless groans, those groans, those soundless groans that we talked about in Romans 8 that are without words. And even just looking at how Eli is claiming that, oh, she's drunk. Like she's in the house of the Lord drunk. Doesn't that sound a little bit like Acts 2 when the outpouring of the spirit comes? They're praying in the upper room, tongues of fire. Whoosh, Elizabeth. Whoosh, that's weird, whoosh over the room. And they go out. People think they're drunk. They, they, they literally don't believe like what's happening. They're like, oh yeah, these people are not in their right mind. And so she's literally praying in the spirit. Like the groans are coming from the spirit. She's hit a different place. She's hit a different place and it's literally just lines right up with how the spirit pours himself out on the new believers in the prayer room, in the place of prayer. She hit that place where the spirit came on her and the groans came out. And so also notice how this priest, Eli, sees her great grief, realizes she's not drunk, but oh, she's desperate. She's hungry. She's thirsty. And he grants her peace and the, the answered prayer. So if an imperfect priest can grant a woman in deep anguish and groaning the request of her heart and promise it on God's behalf. How much more is Jesus, our high priest, always making intercession at the Father's hand? How much more is he willing to grant peace, to grant answers to our prayers of suffering, to our groans and to our sorrows? But the question is, will we keep enduring? Will we keep that groan? Will we believe there is a God who answers on the other side of it when we don't see it fulfilled for years? Will the groans stop? Will we start groaning to go back to Egypt? Will we start groaning to go back to the things God has delivered us from? Will we start groaning for something else that isn't the promises of God that we're contending for, the will of God that we're praying into? And so we're, we're thankful to see, you know, Eli, he answers this prayer and she experiences the joy of answered prayer like we talked about last week and how she, you know, operated in faith. All she needed was a word from this priest. And the next day, it says, the next morning she woke up and she didn't cry at the temple. She didn't go and keep weeping because she didn't have the son yet. She wasn't praying. She goes and she starts worshiping. It completely changes one word from the priest. Again, how much more? One word, one response that you hear from that place of groaning from Jesus. How much can one word shift what's the groan from, you know, sorrow and heaviness <laughs> turn into worship where you still might not have the promise, but you have the word. You don't have the promise, but you have the word. You're contending by that word. You're groaning by that word. You're suffering well by that word. You're trying to make sense of the suffering you're going through that you don't understand, but you have a word. But you have a word. And that was enough for a woman who's been contending for years. She's at that same temple for years, seeing the same priest for years. But she got a promise from him and she knew the authority he had on God's behalf. How Do you know Jesus' authority? Do you know the one who's interceding for you always? Do you know how powerful his word is? If you do, then you'd remember like last week, if you pray anything according to the perfect will of God, 
You have what you ask. I can promise you Jesus is not praying amiss. He's not praying imperfect prayers. We have what we ask him in his will. And so, excuse me, take a drink. I want us to know, even the entire next chapter, I forgot to mention this point. The entire next chapter is a song of praise from her. Like she, it's at the point where she actually does get pregnant. But again, it's just that shift to praise. It's that shift to worship. It's that shift to the joy of answered prayer that we talked about, that she experienced. And I would even contend that it's a type of worship that was inaccessible, a depth of worship that's literally inaccessible without the suffering, without the crushing. Some of you might see super passionate people here who hold the mic. You see us, you know, going and doing different things. You don't even know the type of suffering and crushing people went through. Maybe they're not just churchy. Maybe there's been a breaking. Maybe there's been a point where they lost themselves and they're just hidden in Christ. They don't care if they look foolish because they've hit that place of groaning because they've had to. There's no other deliverer. There's no other help. And so like Hannah, will we get to a place where we won't let our anguish rob us of our worship? And look for some alternative answer to worship. Will our anguish shift to our worship is directed towards? And so she even names in verse 20 her blessed son. After the promise that gave her so much torment for years, that caused so much struggle and weeping, she named Samuel like his name actually meant um, like heard from God or like God hears or God heard. Yes. There's different. He said, I know my, I know who I am. I should have just asked you. <laughs> you know who you are? <laughs> All right. But even in his name, your name, Samuel, carries the revelation that groaners are heard by God. Even when they don't see the promise fulfilled, they are heard by God. When it doesn't look like things are adding up, you're heard by God. And so the last point, we're going to just turn back to Romans 8. It'll be a shorter point than the first two. We can turn to Romans 8, 18 through 22. Or actually, yeah, we'll, we'll start with 18 through 22, and we'll go a couple of verses after for, or a verse after for the next section. So for this point three, for why we intercede, we intercede to hasten the day of the Lord. We intercede to hasten Christ's second coming. The day where oppression is ceased and deliverance is final. We're groaning unto a final day of deliverance where we do groan for a deliverance in some part from oppression, from darkness, from all these different things. But there's a day where all of it will cease that we groan and we cry out for. Any volunteers for Romans 8, 18 through 22? I need it. by its own choice, but by the will of the one who it. In hope that 
the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, has been attained to the pure childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption, the sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Thank you. So he went into the other part. I was going to talk in a little bit. It's just one verse. But not only do we see corporate, national intercession and anguish and groaning, we, we saw the individual level as well in the Old Testament story of Hannah, but we see all of creation is groaning over something. All of creation is like participating in like a form of intercession or a form of like longing or deep desire. And so creation itself, the earth itself, also stained by sin, also under the curse of sin, just like mankind, actually groans in the same exact heart posture that Israel did, that Hannah did. Due to its bondage to decay, the oppression, again, due to the curse that God put on the earth. In response to the sinfulness of humanity, and again, you could even argue even with all the examples we brought up when you talk about God allowing, that also doesn't erase the fact of sin's effect on the world. Our choices also affect a lot of things. And so in the same way, the earth groans because it goes, the earth itself is under bondage and decay. I don't know if people think about it, but, you know, stuff you might hear about with climate change, with the earth, like all the stuff weird happening in the earth, like the Bible would point to that as birth pains. But what, what's the earth birthing? Like, why? how's the earth going through birth pains? What is the earth waiting to be delivered? What, what is the expectation? What, why are the pains coming? He is coming. <laughs> you spoiled this. <laughs> but yes, they're waiting, not just for him, though. The earth is waiting and it's groaning. Yes, 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 yes. It's groaning. For a deliverer, for deliverers, the earth is actually groaning, as we see in this scripture, for the children of God to rise up as deliverers, glorified, redeemed. It's, it's groaning for itself to be in its glorified state, freed and delivered from the effects of sin and darkness. And so the earth is groaning for a greater glory to be revealed just like Jesus prayed way back in John 17, 24. And Jesus's glory preceded the creation of the earth, meaning he preceded the effects of the curse. So even the earth is longing for its own memory that it has of what it was like before sin entered. When it was just present with just the glory of God, unstained by sin. And so... As believers, we'll share in that great undefiled glory, as we do, so even, or as we will, so even the earth will gro groans with hope and expectation for an answer, just as Israel and Hannah. And then verse 23, we already kind of, we already, um, I and I already read it, so I'll just kind of go through it. Excuse me. But verse 23, it's tying back to what we saw in John 17, 24, that Jesus is praying that we would see him glorified and that we would be with him where he is. 
and I already made the connection, but our groaning is tied to this desire Jesus has for us to be with him and to see his glory. It's a direct result of his intercession. And so he only spoke and did what he saw and heard his father say and do. So we know that it's God's will that all creation, including his children, should long to be with Jesus in this glorified state to see him as he is. And so another thing that's different for the groaning of these New Testament saints is that it's referred to as inward, not as outward as the other forms of groaning that we've looked on. And so it's, it's inaudible. It's this internal frustration and burning desire that we have for ultimate deliverance. But the good news is that we groan according to hope and not merely out of sorrow of what we don't have yet. But we have a groan that the effects of sin that we've experienced in our bodies will be removed and Jesus's prayer will be answered. The effects in our literal bodies completely removed. The way we engage with the sinful world, the sin we deal with internally will be removed and will be fully redeemed. And so even the earth, even we, we endure our suffering with a hope and a joy that's set before us, just like Jesus had a joy and a hope set before him on the cross. And so this is why Paul's relating the groaning to that of the birth pains of an expectant mother, like we, we talked about already. And so this groaning, as I said before, it's unto the second coming, it's unto the day of, Lord, of the Lord. We're longing with eager expectation for Christ to come. How often do you think about Jesus coming back? Is there a longing? Is there a desire in you? Did you actually know before today why he was coming back? Did you just think it was just so that people would go to heaven and some people would go to hell? Or were you expecting a deliverer? Someone who would deliver the earth itself of all sinfulness, would remove his children, he would remove from the earth all of the things that get in the way of his love. Everything. And so there's an eager longing. There's a groaning we're supposed to have. There's a Maranatha cry of come Lord Jesus that he wants to birth in us that birth pains of the earth and different forms of suffering that we go through will birth. Crushing and pressing. But when Christ comes, he will restore fully everything that's been broken and tainted by sin in, in this world and in our bodies. And so I encourage us that we need to pray into greater excitement, preparation, perspective, that we are called to usher in and long for Christ's return. When he comes, will he find faith in the earth? When he comes, will he actually find people who are looking for him? Or will, he just, will everyone just be surprised? Because the church didn't have a groan. We're supposed to birth in the coming of the Lord with our groan. There's something about what we, what we reach in this call to anguish and suffering and groaning that actually brings forth and hastens the Lord's return, hastens justice. That's what this is a cry for. The deliverance is justice. The groan is from injustice, from oppression, from sin, from everything against God's love and against his will, but he allows it so it could birth a groan capable of ushering in, forerunning the great salvation that he has the great deliverance that he has. And so now we're going to enter into a time of, of prayer.
And we're just going to pray through some of these things and beyond even just what, you know, I prayed for in some of the lessons with groaning and all of those different types of things. There's something in this call to anguish, this call to deliverance, this call for help that I feel like each of us in some measure is going to tap into tonight. So we're going to be praying to God with faith, um, with faith just about deliverance, things that we need help with, crying out about injustice that we've experienced, the suffering that we're going through. Some of you might need healing. Some of you need deliverance from demons. Some of you have been oppressed. You haven't even had your thought life to yourself. Some of you have had mental health struggles. Some of you have had, you know, night terrors like Suzanne testified about. And God's arm is not too short to save. His arm is not too short to deliver. We can experience a measure of that deliverance even now as we wait. And so 